Welcome to tonight's class. Tonight we're going to have, is that Hashem, a very unique class. Tonight's class is dedicated by Daniel, Joey, and Charles Soroya in a backwards order. My three great cousins, in memory of our grandfather, Charlie Soroya, Lava Shalom, Shaul Ben Chana, Ruach Adonai, Tancheo Began Eden. Like we said, tonight is not a regular class. Tonight is going to be, Bezat Hashem, a very unique class. Because tonight we're not only going to discuss the parasha, but we're also going to discuss our grandfather, Charlie Seruya. A man who to many people was a legend. To ma- a man who, who st- was, like we said, when the United States of America began, there were only a few people there who had an impact that we could call the founding fathers who would have an impact in the rest of time, the rest of the, the rest of time, this country will always look back at those people as setting the standards, setting the, laying the bricks and the foundation of what would be this country for the rest of time. The Havdil, the Jewish people, we had people in the beginning of our people, Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, the Shivatim, Moshe, Aaron, David, Shalomo, those people, the Imahot, people who were there at the beginning, the Zechuyot and their morals, what they were, would be the foundation and our people would rely on that foundation for the rest of the time. The same is true in some way with our community. Our community has a few people when we came over from Halab, there were only a few unique men Men who were deeply religious, deeply, uh, deeply committed to the Torah, to the mitzvot, and people with great hearts and great strength, for Hashem and love for Hashem, who were able to be those quote unquote founding fathers of our community. Maybe Ham Yaakov Kassin, of course, and Ha'ai Shalom, and many other, a few other men who were able to start Magen David, Sharetzion, start those first institutions that would be the foundation of our community. Charlie Seruya was one of those men. And I'm proud to say he, my grandfather, my mentor, Charlie Seruya, was a man who when the community had no yeshivas and no schools and no excitement for religion practically at all, he was there at the forefront bringing the children to school and shul and young Magan David, starting being committed to having the first sukkah, getting them excited about mitzvot, excited about Simchat Torah and about the holidays, about Chanukah, about Lagba Omer, about Purim. Shabbat, a man who was so believed, uh, so committed and strong, right there in the beginning, from the outset, when no one, when it wasn't in style, when it wasn't easy, and who had, was able through his entire life, from practically the day he was born to the day he died, have an impact on so many people, some in very large ways and sometimes in very small ways, taking two, three people to shul in the morning, or making a minyan for boys with two, three hundred boys and getting them all excited about a holiday. He was a man with great strength and great impact in our community. We're proud that tonight's class will not be a eulogy. Tonight's class is going to be a class on Parashat Shalach. But we're proud to also incorporate into our class the lessons and some of the stories of what this great legend, Charlie Seruya, was about. Okay, now we're ready to begin our class. And as an overview in the class, our first opening question, so to speak is I think a question that many of us struggle with or are faced with at many points in our life. And that is, say you have family members who are not as religious as you. Or you're in their house and it's, it's not, they're not keeping Shabbat. Or they have beliefs that are different than you. And you believe that their beliefs are wrong and incorrect. Or they have, they're watching certain things on television while you're there that are totally something that you don't want you to be exposed to, you don't want your children to be exposed to, whatever it is. And now you're in the house, how do you deal with it? Do you do option number one? 
Do you get up and say, you know what, this is wrong? Tell them that it's wrong. Leave the house. Not be there. Make it clear that you don't agree with them. Let them know they don't agree with them. And absolutely stand up for what you believe and tell them and be outspoken about it. Draw the line and make it clear to them. I'm not coming into the house with you on the phone on Shabbat. Or I'm not going to listen to you if you talk with those beliefs. I'm not going to have anything to do with you. Or... Do you do exactly the opposite? Do you be friendly, be nice, say, you know what, it's not my business. Anyhow, if he wants to be on the phone, as long as I'm not on the phone on Shabbat, it doesn't matter. If he wants to believe what he believes, it doesn't really matter. I, don't, I believe what I believe, he believes what he believes. I smile to him, I be friendly with him, I invite him to my occasions, I'm, I'm nice to him, I, I deal with him, I'm friendly with him, I could go out to eat with him, I could do everything, it doesn't matter. He does what he does and I do what I do. Which one, which approach is right? Is it better to sort of be outspoken, straightforward, direct and clear? Or is it better to be sort of how we, what's almost easier to us sometimes, to be friendly, to be nice and say what you do, you do, what I do, I do. It has nothing to do with me and you. We have not, it's not my business what you do. I think now we're finally ready to actually turn to the parasha. It's parashat shelach. And it discusses, as we all know, the Meragilim, the spies. And to most of us, it's a relatively simple story. Moshe Rabbeinu sends 12 men. 10 of them come back with a bad report. 2 of them come back with a good report. Yoshua and Kalev came back with positive words about Eretz Yisrael. We have a number of questions, 4 to be exact. Question number 1 is simple. Is there any difference between Kalev and Yoshua? To all of us, Kalev and Yoshua are the same thing. They're two. They're on the same. They're on the good team. And that's it. They're both the same. Is there, I want to know, is there any difference between the two? This question we're going to hold, we're going to end, we're going to answer it in the second half of the class. Question number two is a little deeper. Question number two is, and now let's look at some of the Pesukim. Let's look at what they were set out to do, and what they actually did. Pasuk tells us, Moshe Rabbeinu left them with instructions. Pasuk Yudchet, Mahi. Look at the land and see what it is. And the nation that is living on that land, what they are. Are they strong, or are they weak? Are they small, or are they many? And the land that they're living in, is it good, or is it bad? And the cities that they live in, are they fortified, or are they unfortified? And the land, is it fatty, is it strong, is it plentiful, is it a good land? Or is it weak? The questions are very clear. He has yes or no questions, Yes, positive or negative. Is the land fortified? Is it many? Is it strong? And are the people strong? Simple questions. So now let's see what they went ahead and did. They were sent with these questions. Let's see what they did. The Pasuk tells us what they did. And Pasuk Chavav, they come back and they say the land, Pasuk Chavzayin, they say we went to the land and it's flowing with milk and honey. So far so good. The nation is strong. And the cities are fortified. And we also saw giants there. 
Again, to me, so far, so good. They were asked these questions. Is it fortified? Is it strong? Who lives there? They came back with the answer. Amalek Yoshev Banegev. Amalek is sitting in the in the south. And they told them where the Cheti and the Evusi, where everyone's sitting. And on the Arden, Vayas Kalev. And now all of a sudden, what happens? So good. So far, they're giving the report. They were sent to give a report to file a report, they came back with information. Kalev gets up and he quiets everybody down. Why are you quieting that down for? They didn't say anything wrong yet. Everything I see is perfect. They were asked questions, they answered the questions. You had questions, they came back with answers. Why is there, why is Kalev jumping out of his seat, quieting everybody down, and even after, most of what they say is not wrong. They were went to file a report. How is the nation? They said that they say that the people are dying. That was true. People were dying. We saw giants. That was true. There were giants. They say we can't make it up. Okay, that's what they're giving the report. They were asked to file a report. They say that 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 we don't think we can make it. To me, it doesn't sound like anything they said was a lie. Anything they said was not accurate or apropos with what Moshe Rabbeinu asked them to go ahead and do. They were asked, they came back with answers. So that's our question number two. Question number two is, what did they do wrong? If Moshe Rabbeinu asked them the questions, what's the problem if they came back with simple and clear answers? My next question. Question number three is, that it says, and then the, again the Pesukim continue. Then the, the, the Meraglim sort of counteract Kalev, and they make Kalev sit down, sort of, they get up and they say, we're not going to be able to make it, and they start talking about the land, people were dying there, when we got there, people were dying, which was also true, and there are giants there, which was also true, again, all the truth. And then later on it says, that the Meraglim were finally, Hashem killed them, the Meraglim were going to be punished. Why were the Meraglim punished? Because it says, they were Motzid, Motzid Dibat, if you look, it's on page uh, 731. If you want to just hold the old page. It says that they were Motz'ed Hashim, The people who Motz'ed They spoke about the land bed. The Rabban says, what does Motz'ed mean? They lied. The Rabban says clearly in his commentary on the Chumash that the Meragalim lied. My question again, number three is, is that I don't see any lies. There's no information that they gave here that was untrue. They said that the land was fortified. They said that there were a lot of people there. They said that it was strong. They said where Amalek was. They said there were giants. They said that people were dying. Every piece of information they gave was true. Then Amban says, why were they punished? Because they lied. I don't get it. That's my third question. I'm glad you have your hands raised. That means you like the questions. And my fourth and final question is, you don't have to turn, but in, in the book of Devarim, Moshe Rabbeinu tells the people that he now instructs the Jewish people. This is way later. Okay? It's before he's about to die. He instructs the people, you're going to go into Eretz Yisrael. And he describes the land. The land you're going to go into is big and strong and fortified. And there's a tremendous nation. And there's giants. Everything that the Meragelim said, Moshe Rabbeinu repeats on his own. So I don't understand. You just made a whole big deal. You said the Meraglim said terrible information. They said bad things. They lied. All that. And now we see not just is it the truth, but Moshe Rabbeinu when he's informing the people of what AIDS is about after the 40 years are up and they're about to go into AIDS and he's about to die. He says the, everything, almost everything the Meraglim said, how strong they are, how they're giants, how they're fortified, how they're... 
it seems to be I can't find what's wrong in the Miraculous information. Again, I'm going to repeat my four questions clearly. Question number one is there any difference between Yeshua and Kalev? That's number one. Question number two is what did they, they, they do wrong as far as I'm concerned? Moshe Rabbeinu sent them with questions to be answered and they came back and simply answered the questions. That's number two. Question number three is that the Ramban tells us and the Basuk seems to be saying that the reason they were punished is because they lied. As far as I'm concerned, I don't find any lies. That's number three. And question number four is their information is so true and so accurate that Moshe Rabbeinu is going to repeat most of it on his own before he dies. Now comes listening time. We're now going to answer the... We'll try to answer the questions. We're going to turn to a Pasuk. You don't have to turn. The source... For the Pasuk, the source for the Isur of Lashon Hara. Anyone know the source of the Pasuk Lashon Hara? If you know it, you could yell it out. No. The source for the Isur of Lashon Hara. Let me tell you what it is. The Hafez Chaim in the beginning of his book brings this as the, this is the famous Isur of Lashon Hara. When you just simply tell Lashon Hara once, I'm telling something about somebody else. The Pasuk is in Mishpatim. It says, Lo Tisa Shem Ashav. Don't hear, don't listen. How does the Targum translate it? Don't listen to lies. Now, I don't understand that. I just told you that's the source for Lashon Hara. Lashon Hara is telling a lie or telling the truth? Truth. Telling the truth. Lashon Hara is the truth. And the source for the Pasuk that is Asur to tell Lashon Hara is a Pasuk that says don't tell lies. So which one is it? Is it the truth or is it lies? The answer is very clear. Exactly. The answer is very clear. The Lashon Hara and the Chavetz Chaim explains this in his book, in the first page. He says, Lashon Hara, yes, very often is the truth. And the Yisur Lashon Hara is even if you're telling the absolute truth. But when a person is telling Lashon Hara, he usually nine times out of ten there's a little agenda there. And it's the agenda that dominates the talk. Now, everything might be accurate, but it's the, that little agenda, that little nuance, the way he says the word, the way he does it. I remember a story, it's a small story, and I happened to, you know, with a friend of mine, he was about five years ago. I asked him, and it's an insignificant story, but it just, I can't believe how I remember it. I asked him, you know, he was studying with a boy, and I asked him, are you going to continue to study with him next month, next semester? He says, that guy, nech. That's all he said. He didn't say no. He said, Nech. Now, I don't know what Nech means, but he added in that E-C-H, and all did for the rest, I don't know who that boy is. I, don't, I mean, I don't know him personally, but every time I see that ex-boy, that guy, whenever I see him, I look at him and I think of, there must be something wrong with this guy, because that person, when he described him, he didn't say no, he said Nech. Which means, right, all you need to hear is a word like that. There's nothing, he didn't lie, he didn't say anything negative. All he said is no. He basically said no. But when you say it with a tone, or with a twist, with your little agenda, and that makes that can dominate the whole thing and turn an entire spin, an entire twist with your agenda. The Miragelim that Aban says, the Miragelim despised their Lashonara when it began, where they began their evil talk, began with one word. It's in Pasuk Chavchet, Pasuk 28 on page 725. The pasu, it says that we went, we, you, we, we went to the land, it's flowing with milk and honey. This is its fruit. You see Pasuk 28, the first word in the Pasuk is Ephes. But. That's all he said. But, however, same thing. All they said was, but. But the land ha- is fortified and it's strong. In other words, 
the whole thing was put with a negative spin. Once they put their spin, yeah, they said we can't make it up there. It was their opinion. They were sent to come back to be a reporter. They were not said to be commentators. What they did wrong was they came back not just as reporters but as commentators. They didn't lie. But they put all the information within their spin, with their agenda, and therefore everything came out negative so that by the point they were finished, by the time they were finished speaking, the entire Jewish people, 600,000 men, a few million men, women, and children, all didn't want to go up to Eretz Israel anymore. Because why? The information that they said was accurate. It was right, it was on target, but it was with a spin. And that's why it's considered a lie. It had the spin, it had a twist. What? There you go, whatever, exactly. All these, when this country is very famous for that. But that's what they did. They had all the information was true, but with a spin. So now we answered our questions. We get to Caleb and Yeshua later. But the answer to our question was, did they say the truth? Yes, they said the truth. So much so, it was so true that Moshe Rabbeinu, most of the information Moshe Rabbeinu is going to repeat later on after the 40 years are over. That's also true. And yes, Moshe Rabbeinu asked them for this information and they came back with accurate information. What was their mistake? One thing. They spun it with their agenda. With their negative agenda and they were able to manipulate all the people to be anti anti Israel because of their agenda, their negative agenda. In fact, when Moshe Rabbeinu prayed for Yoshua. He said he added the name, he added onto Yoshua, Yehoshua, he added a Yud. What does Rashi say? Rashi says his prayer was a short prayer. Hashem should pray, it should save him. Me'asat Meragilim. From the Atsat is the agenda of the Meragilim. Not from the words of Meragilim, because Meragilim aren't going to say anything wrong. Well, they're not going to say anything that's a lie, excuse me. But they had an agenda. Hashem save Yoshua from their agenda. Now, this country, like we said, is dominated by not reporters, but commentators. What we have in this country, we have everything we have, is, we all take it for granted, it's marketing, everything is marketing, everything we have is spun. There are so many things that are bad or not good for us, but spun is good, and it's okay. You ever see, I love this commercial, the, not a commercial, the, the billboard, Newport uh, Light. You ever see Newport Light billboard? There's always, there's one that always sticks, they always look like they're having a blast. There's two guys, two girls, they're playing pool together, they're all on top of each other, they're all smiling, they're having the time of their life. Excuse me, but you know what I'm saying? They're all, no, they're all together, smiling, everyone's good looking, everyone's, everyone's having a great time. Now that, and it says on the bottom, alive with pleasure. Because everything is great. Now, what's really happening? But what's really happening when the husband smokes and the wife is, is, is there, she, first of all, the husband smells. That's really what's going on. That's number one. Number two, the wife is all annoyed at him to stop smoking. So she's yelling at him, you're smoking, you should stop smoking. How could you? No, I told you. Right? Stop smoking. Okay? He's coughing over the pool table and he probably missed the ball because he was coughing. Okay? And chances are the couple, okay, whatever, the couple, so close, I don't know what kind of hanky-panky is going on. But, the point is, they make the commercial as if they're all excited, alive with pleasure. You Very often, people with that kind of a, they're addicted, they're strong, they're sad, they're dead with depression. But that is, again, they show you the agenda, they paint it like it's exciting. 
and it's really what's behind it is not good. And the truth, the same thing is true with things that are not kosher. They have, so we have in this country R-rated movies. R-rated movies are considered by everyone to be very civilized and proper movies. They could fill in those movies as much filth as from here till tomorrow. Something that 30 years ago people's hair would stand on their back to sit and think. But now people with suits and ties and respectable people all would go to an R-rated movie. Why? There's nothing with R-rated. No one ever says, oh, you're going to R-rated movie, it's hype. You know what? No. X-rated movie, has to shalom. No one, X-rated movie is hype. But R-rated... It's, 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 that's civilized but stuff, right? But they could fill it with right. filth from here to tomorrow. What's I don't know what's in there, but they could fill it with anything they want. But they call it an R-rated movie, so it's sort of presented as sort of a normal thing, right. as an acceptable thing to see. And so we sort of accept it and we take it. Yeah, I'm not saying everything, um, but there's plenty that are filled with filth and are considered acceptable because they're in the civilized theaters and the civilized places. They have the same thing. They have shows. What's this? There's a new show I heard about it recently, and uh, when I first heard about it, yeah, Desperate Housewives. When oh, I first heard about oh, it, I thought, you know, it's Desperate Housewives, Miskin, I don't know, Hazato, and I don't know. Maybe they need money. Maybe they need. Maybe they need an extra chadame. Maybe they need a high school girl to come over and help them out. I don't find out. Don't know that much about the show, but what I do know is is that the sequel is not going to be titled Eshet Chayil. <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't know what okay, and I don't know what the deal is. My point is it's on regular television. It's not it's on regular television. It's not it's considered a regular thing. Everyone right exactly the, the name is a simple right prime time for everyone to see. It's not that's supposed to be kosher those days, or not kosher, but it's supposed to be. You know, you would say it's relatively. Yeah, exactly. The president's wife watches the show. Sounds okay. So against the show, I don't know the story. She said she was okay. I don't know the story. Okay, I'm sorry, I don't get the whole thing. But she said she was. My point is that it's part of civilized life. It's part of regular life. It's not considered a bad thing by society. It's spun as a good, as an acceptable thing, and therefore we think we can go do it. And the truth is the same thing happens to us, even in our own, let's say, community, okay? We have sometimes, you have, you'll be invited to a party. You're invited, the summer comes, you're invited to parties. Now, the party is by, run, hosted by a Jew, hosted by someone who might even be religious. It might be called an engagement party. It might be called a party that should be fine. And then, in the back of the party, at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, they're drinking, they're getting overdosed, maybe there's even drugs in the back somewhere. And we know, again, it's presented... It's presented as an engagement party or presented as a party in a Jewish person's house. Now, how bad could it be? It's with us. It's our friends. We know the people. They're good people. The parents are good people. So it can't be that bad. But we look at it and we say, ah, it's not that bad. Again, it's twisted with the agenda. The same thing they have now, they have a new thing, now, a new fundraiser, poker tournaments. Poker tournaments, again, nothing, it's, it's Siddhaqah. So they raise money for Siddhaqah. It must be a good thing. It's probably in shuls and stuff like that. It must be a good thing. But you know what? Poker is poker is poker. I don't care if you're doing it in Las Vegas, you're doing it in Atlantic City, you're doing it in, in, in your house, or if you're doing it in, in the Beatamic Dash. If it's poker, it's gambling, it's poker. I don't care what it is, but again, it's twisted and spun. And we get fooled. Football pools. Okay, one second. Yeah, football pools, no matter what it is, we get spun. And especially in the summer, we get spun by the people's agenda, by how people twist it and how positive they make it look. My grandfather, Allah Shalom, Charlie Zuriya, was never fooled from the day he was born to the day he died. That's one thing we could say. Is that accurate? Yes. Okay, never in his life 
Did he ever, what did he, was he approached? Did he have something where he was thrown in situations where people were changing, times were changing, people were adapting? He never adapted, he never changed, he never budged. Okay, when he was in the army, we told the story at the funeral, he was in the army, you know the story. You know in the army, he had a sukkah in the army. You know that. He built a sukkah in his army base. You know he kept kosher in the army. You know, he lit him in Uriah, the rumor goes that his bed caught on fire from his Hanukkah menorah one year. Okay? That's the story. He was a co- He used to go, they would try as anything he could not to be working on Shabbat. He would have to, sometimes they would have kitchen duty. He would, one day, say one time, there was, everyone was take, had to go on the chalkboard and write their name for different times of kitchen duty. Okay? He went, Thanksgiving, he crossed off everybody else's name, and he wrote in big letters, Charlie Saruya, he's taking the whole day so that he doesn't have to do it on Shabbat. And he's going to work 24, however many hours it was, so he's not working on Shabbat. In fact, one time they decided they're going to test him. It didn't seem real. People like this, you're in the army, you're like with everybody else, you be like everybody else. So one day, he used to have a custom, every Friday he would go into town to go to the movie theater. You get ready for Shabbat, and you go upstairs, what you would do is in the town they'd have the movie theater would have two levels the bottom level is where everyone would watch and then he'd go upstairs in the balcony which was black pitch black no one would be there he'd see his Gene Autry picture or whatever he was going to see he'd go over the he'd go over the over the uh, the chain he'd sit there pitch black by himself eating his kosher sardines that's what he would do one Friday afternoon he's sitting there in the theater he's in the army for months and he's sitting in the theater and at the end of the row that he's sitting there's a girl and the girl starts coming closer and closer to him. And finally he realizes what she's up to. She's trying to make advances on him. He jumps out of his seat. He races down the aisle. Jumps over the chain. Races down the steps. Races back to the army base. The next day he's out in the field. And the colonel meets him. And the colonel says, says, Charlie, are you human? An army soldier in the army upstairs alone. Pitch black with a girl right there. And he's racing away from her. He's not, you know, deciding, racing away to avoid it. They say, he said, we put her there to test you, to see how, you, how real you are. That's a person who's never adapted, never spun. Like we said, even in the army, that we, one Shabbat, this is a story we told also at the funeral. This one got a lot of, went around. One Shabbat, one Friday afternoon, he was in the colonel's office. He said, Charlie, you're going to have to fly tonight. Heard the story? Charlie, you're going to have to fly tonight. Okay, he's very upset. What do you mean? It's my Shabbat. I try to keep my Shabbat. I can't fly. I can't fly. Charlie, you have to fly. Okay, he's not happy. He starts walking out of the office and he's crying. He says, Hashem, I want to always try to keep Shabbat. How could it be that I'm going to really have to transgress the Shabbat? He's walking down the steps of the office and he trips and he sprains his leg. He has to be in the hospital for 24 hours. He missed the flight. That night, the plane flew. Nine guys on the plane. It crashed, and everybody on board passed away. That's the story of a man who not just, who was, had that strength, who wasn't adapted, you know, he's in the army, everyone else is doing it, it's not a big deal, it's probably mutad if it's in the army, who knows what you could come up with, not him. When he came to the community, after the war, he came back to the community, and he was here in our community, he got the first man with the sukkah, the first, one of the first only laymen in Sharetzion with a, a lulav and etrog, okay, a person who's keeping kosher, not doing hanky, you know, bringing his own cheese to the pizza, that stuff, not, he never did that, my mother used to tell me, how they, all their friends did stuff, he never ate out of other people, he never ate anywhere, because he, his kashrut, his standards were entirely different, but what do you mean, it's the 50s, it's the 60s, 
Everyone else is adapting. Everyone else is blending into society. Why don't you just follow? It's okay. It's America. Not him. In fact, the story goes that it was one Friday afternoon. One Friday afternoon. He was. He decided he had enough with his country, and he was going to fly. He was going to go. He's going back to Israel on Sunday. He had tickets to go on Sunday. Friday afternoon, I shall and Ham Yaakov Kassim walk into his house, and they say, "Charlie, what's the story?" He says, "I'm going to fly to Israel on Sunday. I had enough. There's no religion here. I'm going back to Israel." I shall says, "Really? Can I see your passport?" He says, "Okay." He's a young guy. He goes upstairs. To the, goes upstairs. Comes back down. Says, "Here's my passport." I shall looks at the passport and he tears it to pieces. He says, "Charlie, you're not going anywhere. The children need you." And that's the story. That's where he stayed. Again, he was not here. Never in his life. I don't think till literally till he passed away. He never ever did you see him bend his rules, bend his morals, bend his things. He was never fooled by the agendas of society. The Miragelim were the first PR people. The first people to come to come back from Israel, to come back from Israel, Israel, and twist it all with their negative agenda and put their spin on the story. Again, none of the information was lie. None of it was inaccurate. But it was all with a spin. And when it has a spin, that in essence is a lie. And that's what Lashon Arai is all about. Lashon Arai is even when you're telling the absolute truth. But almost always, when you are saying something about someone negative, there's a spin you have, you dramatize something, you overemphasize something, you give, in fact, last night, two people were talking to me about they were in a little bit of a fight. I was just listening casually. I heard from one side and the other side. Both of them, when I heard the first guy's story, I said, he's 100% right, the other person's a bozo. I heard the other person's story, I said, you know, you're 100% right, I don't believe the first guy. Then I said, both stories were totally different. There was no information was inaccurate, but all their little spin, the, the piece of the story that one guy left out, the other person inserted, the tone that he put, made their stories entirely different. That's what the Meragelin did. That was their sin. They didn't tell gross lies. What they did was they spun the story. Now what we're going to do is go to Kalev and Yehoshua. Now we get to the second part. Kalev and Yehoshua. The first part of the class, like you said, a lot of you knew, and a lot of people I'm sure know that part, that that was the, the point of their sin. The second part is a Hadush. Is there any difference between Kalev and Yehoshua? And I'm going to show you some of the examples in the Pesukim, and you'll see that they're not always, excuse me, mentioned like together. The, together. For example, when they leave, Moshe Rabbeinu says, Moshe Rabbeinu changes your Vayikra, Moshe Loshe Abenun, Yehoshua. That's on page 725, Pasuk 16. Moshe calls Yehoshe Abenun, he adds Yehoshua. Why does he add the Yud? Rashi says he was making a prayer to Hashem that Hashem should save Yehoshua from the spies. Well, I have a question. How about Kalev? Kalev also is going to be a good person. Kalev is also going to end up being a good person. How come, I, how come Moshe only prays for Yoshua and he doesn't pray for Kalev? That's question number one. Question number two. Look at question number two. Question number two is what David brought up a few minutes ago. In Pasuk 22 it says, They went to Hebron. It says Rashi, who, what, what does it mean they went to Hebron? It says, Vayavuat Hebron, singular. They didn't all go to Hebron, only one of them went to Hebron. Kalev. Kalev went to Hebron, the all eleven went somewhere else. Kalev went to Hebron to pray on, at the Ma'arat at the tomb of our forefathers. 
to pray that Hashem should save him from the Meragilim. Where's Yahshua? How come only Kaleb is going to pray? How come Yahshua is not going to pray? Again, if they're both good people, how come Moshe is only praying for Yahshua and Kaleb is the only one praying for himself, not Yahshua? That's question number two. Question number three, you ready? Number three, and we're going to have one more. Question number three is in Pasuk 30. It says, we told you before, when the Meraglim start giving their bad report, Vayas Kalev et Ha'am. Only Kalev gets up to quiet the people. Where's Yoshua? Where's Yoshua? I don't understand. I thought Yoshua was one of the good people too. Yoshua also has nothing bad to say. Why don't they both get up? How come only Kalev is the one getting up and not Yoshua? That's a good, great question. And, not, and question number four is, uh, like I said, these questions, I don't see hands raised. He's ready, to eager, ready and eager to answer these questions because these are much harder. It's on page 731 in Pasuk Chavdalit. But, uh, Pasuk says, Hashem is, is, is telling Moshe that those people, the, the spies, are gonna, they're, they're going to be killed. In Yerud, they're going to be killed. But Avdi Kalev. And my servant Kalev, Ekev Ruach because he had a different plan, he is going to be saved. I don't understand. What is Yoshua? I thought they were both good. How come it says my servant Kalev is going to be saved? How come not Yoshua? Let me repeat the four questions again. Let me repeat them and then I'll hear your answer. Four questions again. Number one is Moshe prays only for Yoshua, not for Kalev. Number two is that Kalev goes to pray for himself in Hebron and Yoshua doesn't go. Number three is when the Meraglim are getting up bringing their bad report, Kalev is the one to quiet them down, not Yoshua. And later on when Hashem says that the Meraglim are going to be killed and uh, 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 Kalev is different, He says only Kalev is different, not Yoshua. I always thought, we always had the story clear. Ten and two. Ten bad, two good. I see when you dissect the story that they seem to be two very different people. Our question is, what's the difference and why the difference and why do we have all these differences? These questions we saw asked by the Chafetz Chaim. And the Chafetz Chaim is going to answer our question. Like we said, some of you are touching on the point, but we're going to get to the core of the point. The Chafetz Chaim says when you're faced with spiritual danger, you have friends who are not keeping the right way. They're not, they don't have the right philosophies. They don't, they don't, they're not doing the right thing. Yeah, let's say, like we said, a party where they're doing the wrong thing. You're at someone's house on Shabbat, they're not keeping Shabbat. You're someone's teaching you improper Torah, Torah thoughts or something wrong. There's two approaches, says the Chafetz Chaim. One approach is to come outright and tell everybody, you're wrong, what you're doing is wrong, it's incorrect, I'm not with you, I don't agree with this and not stay there or, or make it clear that you are different and you don't agree with what anybody is doing. He says, the gain with that plan is that you're spiritually safe because they don't think you're one of them. They know you're different and they're not going to try to hurt you. They're not going to try, they're not going to try, they have no influence on you because they know that you're different. They know that you're different. And then there's, but again, but with that plan, there is, what's the downside of that plan? The downside of that is that you're in physical danger. Because somebody could come, if people know that you're against them, and when you're again, that you don't agree with them, then they're going to come, they're going to try to hurt you, they might try to talk about you, they might try to fight with you. So again, you're spiritually safe, but you're physically in danger. He said, then there's another way. Second plan. Plan B is that you act like you're one of the boys. 
and you're friendly and you make it like what they're doing is not a big deal and you don't you know you don't make a big deal out of it you don't go with the flow you play along you smile you be friendly you crack a joke and you make it like there's nothing going on what's the upside the, what's, the, what's the upside is that you're not in any physical danger and the other upside is is that if you ever want to go and tell these people they might listen to you because they think that you're one of the boys they think that you're part of them the downside is that you are in spiritual danger because you're with them they think there's, the line isn't drawn they think you're one of them they think and they have a much easier chance of influencing you again two paths path number one is you're outspoken the gain is that you have the lines, lines are drawn you're spiritually safe but you're physically in danger path number two is to be soft and not be outspoken and be, be nice and kind and friendly and act like nothing's going on you're in spiritual danger because they could have an influence on you but the upside is that if they, you're ever able to one day you may be able to influence those people says the Chafetz Chaim both these paths are right both of them depend on who you are and how you lead your life both of them are right he says these two paths were the paths of Kalev and Yeshua you ready? Path number one, outspoken, clearly against, draw, lines drawn, that was Yoshua. Yoshua, Yoshua. From the minute Yoshua left, the Meraglim knew that Yoshua was different than them. Yoshua never played along. Yoshua, the Meraglim knew, had his own agenda. And because of that, Yoshua, Moshe Rabbeinu prayed for Yoshua. It wasn't a spiritual prayer. It was a prayer that physically he shouldn't be in harm because they all know that he doesn't agree with them. Yoshua was outspoken from the beginning. Wow. Because of that, when Yoshua came back, Yoshua couldn't speak up. Because they knew that Yoshua was not one of them. They're not listening to him. They, don't, they, have no, they knew he was on the outs from when they got back. Kalev the whole time was playing along. Kalev was never in physical danger. Because Kalev acted like he was one of them. That's why Kalev had to go and pray for himself. Because he needed to pray for his spiritual well-being. Because a spiritual prayer, other people can't pray for you. You need to pray for yourself. I know. So Kalev was able, Kalev had to go to the Marat and pray for himself. Because no one else could pray for him. Because he was in spiritual danger. He was acting like he was one of the boys. At any moment, he was able to be influenced. When they came back, and the Meraglim gave their bad report, Vayas Kalev at the Am, Kalev got up to speak. Rashi says, what did he get up? And he said, and he said, you know what, Moshe even did more. The people were all ready to listen. Because they thought Kalev was one of the boys. They thought Kalev was one of the boys. They thought he was like everybody else. He was playing along all the time. That's why Kalev was able to quiet the crowd. Yoshua never would have been able to quiet the crowd. Because they knew he was different. Kaleh was the only one who could quiet the crowd. At the end, exactly, Kaleh was camouflaged. Again, he was in spiritual danger. But his advantage was that he was going to be able to get up and speak and they would actually listen to him. Yoshua never had that chance. And that's why at the end it says, Avdi Kaleh He had a different agenda. What that means is, is that Kaleh was in a more of a spiritual test. Kaleh had to hold strong even though they were, he, knew he was playing along. That's why Kaleh gets a special mention. Yoshua didn't get that mention because Yoshua wasn't tested like that. Yoshua was always considered separate. I think we answered all four questions. There's a big difference. We're not leaving yet. There's a big difference. Two very different plans. Yoshua's plan was to be clear, draw the line from the beginning. 
Again, he was never in spiritual danger, he was only in physical danger, and that's why Moshe only prayed, our question number one was, why does Moshe only pray for Yeshua? Because Yeshua was the only one who was in physical danger. Question number two was, why, did Kalev, why was Kalev the only one to pray for himself? Because Kalev was praying a spiritual prayer. He was the only one in spiritual danger. Yeshua wasn't in spiritual danger. Because Yeshua, again, was on the outs from the beginning. Question number three was, why was Kalev the only one who was able to quiet the crowd? Because Kalev was the only one who looked like he was part of the boys. So he was able to quiet the crowd. And question number four, why does Hashem at the end give an honorable mention to Kalev and say, Adi Kalev, my servant Kalev, Asher Ruach Acheret Imor, he had a different plan. It's because Kalev inside had a different agenda than the rest. Yoshua, they knew it wasn't a different Yoshua was totally separate than the rest. The very different ways, very different approaches to things. Kalev and Yoshua, the Chavez Chaim says, both are right, both are the right way. It depends on who, what you techunot anevish, how you are. Again, my grandfather, Charlie Suya. He had definitely, clearly, everyone knew him as the Yoshua. As the man who clearly stood, believed what he believed, stood what he believed, uh, stood by what he believed, and never really changed and never backed down, and he would tell you so. The famous story, a cute story. This one's not such a famous, well known story. There was a boy who wanted to come to the Minyan. It seems there was another shul at the time. You know, he ran young Magin David. We all know that. Iran Yom Magid David, the first youth minyan, and it was the most powerful youth minyan maybe in the history of our community. Rabbis, leaders, all were produced from that minyan. But he was strong and he was outspoken and he would bring children to Minyan and he would excite them about Minyan and he would have, we'll tell you in a few minutes, all the, some of the things he did and how he brought people to Minyan. But he was strong about his beliefs. There was one boy who wanted to come to the Minyan. He used to pray in a different shul. And that other shul, it seems that they played cards or some sort of gambling they did during the week. You know the story? You know the story? The boy wants to come to Minyan. Charlie's, my grandfather says, you're not allowed in the Minyan. Unless you go to the Mikveh. What do you mean I'm 12 years old? You're not allowed into the Minyan until you go to the Mikveh. The boy wasn't allowed to come back to the Minyan, okay, until he was dipped in the Mikveh. Charlie's way made it clear what our morals are, what our standards are. There's another story. There's a story, there was a boy in the Minyan once who was going out with a Goya, going out with a non-Jewish girl. Now, this is America. In America, we'd be nice, we'd be civil, we say, you know, maybe you're not doing the right thing, maybe we talk him down, right? That's what we do in America, right? Isn't that what we do? What? What? Okay, so maybe we, but this is, again, in the 50s, 60s, not too many people are religious, it's not, what does he do? He gets up in his Minyan. So and so, let's call him Jackie. Let's give him a name, Jackie. Jackie's going out with a Goya. Nobody talked to him. Dahila. His friends went to his house. They told him that Charlie Tsuruya spoke of I told you this in not to talk to you. He was fuming. He was in a rage. He was going to come and get him. He was fuming. That night, he dropped the girl. A few weeks later, he started going out with a Jewish girl. And he had, eventually, he got married and he had Jewish children. And to this day, that man accredits, my grandfather credits him for marrying a Jew. He says, that day I was angry. But he changed my life. His, his strong and outspoken, he came out, he was clear. He was clear about what he was. There's another story. One day they heard in the Minyan that there was a woman a few blocks away who had an Xmas tree in her house. Xmas tree in her house. What are you going to do about it? It's not my business. It's her house. It's not my house. Again, not Charlie Zeruya. He goes, tells the boys in the Minyan, we're going. The boys get together. And him and the boys, they walk down a few blocks, 
All right, they walk down a few blocks, they knock on the woman's door, hello, how are you? They come upstairs, where's the tree? They go into her living room, they find the tree, and the boys together shove it out the window. That's the story. That's a man. Yes, a Syrian woman. Syrian person, our community. He says that we don't have... Again, not lalida, be nice, be friendly, and maybe eventually, straightforward, to the point, like Yahushua, setting the line, setting the line clear, setting the lines clear, drawing the lines clear, what we believe, what we stand for, what we don't stand for. But he also had the Caliph. He was also able to make people we hired after. You know, I used to get letters every now and then from my grandfather. And the letters would tell me how much he loved me and how much he was, you know, he loves to hear from me and I make his day and Borei Olam should bless me. And I thought, okay, you know what? He sends me and a couple of the grandchildren we get letters. Well, we found that after he passed away, people just kept no, coming. I, 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 all, I don't know how many people, yeah, not talking, how many people came with letters. People got letters, Rabbi Duat got a letter after he passed away. He got the letter about how much he loved him, how much he... And the letters, when we are, like I said last night, my mother was reading to me some of the letters that she got when she was going to Israel, when she moved to Brooklyn. And each letter was to the point, understanding what they were. If he had a little musad, there would be a one-line of musad that applied exactly to that person. And then, Bore Olam should bless you and love you and we love you and you're my heart. How many people were his heart? I thought I was his heart because I was his grandchild. How many people he had close? Oh yeah? How many people, there's so many people with that beautiful handwriting and so many of them saved the letters the letters were so gorgeous I used to have I have my letters still and my letters still on my uh, my bookshelf standing there they've been there for months months on end without just sitting there every now and then you read them again you want Chizuk you read Charlie Sawyer's letter hey, how many people that he loved that he brought close with his love there was one person who told us a story I love this story this is recent this is not when he was in Yom Nagan David this is when he's in his 70s the man one day as a boy is 25 he said from 25 to 29 he never went to weekday minyan ever okay one day he meets my grandfather he says him he sees him in the street he says how are you he says you go to minyan he says nah he says come to minyan he says what do you mean I'm, I'm, it's early try it one day sure enough this young man decides the next day, 6 o'clock in the morning, he comes to Minyan. Okay, fine, he tried it one day. The next morning, 5 o'clock in the morning, he gets a phone call. Somehow he got his number, he gets a phone call. He says, where are you? Where are you? I came one day. We need you again. Come to back to Minyan again. The man said, today he's 35 years old and he has not missed a weekday Minyan since. And he has That's, phone exactly. <laughs> but again, what if you get is a person who's able, a person who's able to bring, have that much with that strength, have that much love for people, be so close to people who weren't again didn't have the same belief, who weren't as strong. There's so many people who were picked up from Minyan at different times in their life. Right here, my cousin Daniel, right, he was young boys in seventh grade. He go used to go to Minchan Abit every day. Right, he's a good kid. When he's in the winter time comes, Menchan Abid is 4.30. Daniel was in 7th grade, he's in school still. What does my grandfather do? Every night, there's a, he finds out that there's a 7 o'clock minyan in some shul somewhere. He picks him up every night at 7 o'clock for a few months, brings him to shul, brings him back. There's a 70 years old man. He doesn't need to take, have time to pick up. It's night time. He's picking up his grandson because that's how much love he had for people. Rabbi Ozeri said at the funeral, we weren't in young Megan W. We weren't lucky enough. But he started to give it. He was there. He was able to give us 
I know, I know. He's picking up people to the day. I agree. Till a few weeks before he passed away. But Yamagan David told us the stories of how he would get children. How they would come to Minyan. They wouldn't have... And my father always tells me he never went to the Minyan. He said, but he always used to hear from his friends. You know, you go, we go to Minyan and get a cack and an olive. And we'd hear about young Meg and David kids coming home with sandwiches, salami sandwiches, bologna sandwiches, coming home with sodas, full soda for each kid. He would have the amazing... Full case of candy. Full case. Simchat Torah would come. They'd have cases, a box. You know, each kid would get huge chocolate. Lag Ba'omer came. Okay, Lag Ba'omer came. Okay, this one I love. Lag Ba'omer comes. In our schools, we have all the youth minyani, which basically all are spin-offs from that minyan. So what do we do when we want to give a big prize? You raffle off a bike. So what does he do on Lag Ba'omer? He goes to the bike store. He brings all the kids to the bike store. And he rents out the whole store. Everyone come and take a bike. That's a little different than just raffling hair care one bike. He said one day he'd come over, he brought them all over, and he brought, brings the kids to the shul, brings the kids to uh, his house, and he, brought, he brings up boxes. He brings, my grandma brings up boxes, cases of ties. Fadal. Every boy come and take ties. Then one week the kids are not coming to Minyan, so what does he do? He offers an incentive. You come to Minyan ten weeks in a row, you get a koracha. The boys get a talet. The boys come after 10 weeks of coming to Minyan. Many boys came to Minyan, but many weeks in a row, they come all, they all come lined up their new talit with their brand new koracha with their name on it. That's called loving people. That's called a person who knows how to make people because when we at the shiva, someone, a, few, a person came, okay, a person came with the new koracha. With his first koracha that he got as a young man, people came to us with the first sidur that they got as a young man in shul. How many people told us in Deal Shul, young boys, they're all my friends? Okay, how many of them came over to me crying when he passed away? How many times he protected us? How many times everyone else is ready to correct us? He's the only one who's ready to say, when I'm here, everything is fine. Rabbi Malka told me, he gave his first class in Deal Shul. Okay, and he was nervous. There's older men. Everyone's here. It's intimidating. He said, he sat, my grandfather sat next to him. He said, when Charlie's here, have no fear. The entire class, he said, he cracked jokes. After jokes, made comments. The entire class went like a breeze. He said, it's the most memorable class. He said, after that, I was fine. Again, he knew how to understand people and understand when he had to be Yehoshua. When he had to come out strong and tell you you were wrong or tell you what to do and how to change and be outspoken and tell you one day he went to Deal Shul and he kicked out all the boys who came to Shul on Shabbat in shorts. He knows how to be Yehoshua. And he knows also how to be Kalev, how to sometimes adapt, be with the people and know how know when to tell them and know how to be close to them to act close to them when he has to but to be able to in order to be able to bring them close eventually there you go the Chochmah Musad has a nice point he says you look at the story of the Meragelin and it's a lesson for us like we said when we get the summer comes and we get these tests he said the Meragelin look at the Meragelin these were 12 great men when they left 12 great men left 10 of them we're going to end in two minutes. Ten of them, ten of them fell. The other one, Yehoshua, needed Moshe Rabbeinu to pray for him to be saved. And the twelfth one, Kalev, needed, excuse me, needed to pray for himself in order to be saved. Every single one of them was in danger. Every single one of them either fell from the danger, or at least had to be prayed, had to have a prayer before they went in order to be saved from danger. You know what he says? 
He says the same thing is true when you know like the summer comes, there's nobody who's not going to be tested over the summer. Be invited to a party, go somewhere, be tempted by something. You're going to go to a party, sometimes you're there one, two o'clock in the morning and you're met by the great men, the three great men. You know the three great men? Oh, you don't know the three great men. They're very tempting, very enticing. Three great men. Jack Daniels, Tom Collins, and Johnny Walker. You go to a party and you see those and it's not so easy to hold back. What? It's not so easy. You're there late at night. What? Oh, I don't know about all the great men. I only know some of them. Okay. But, no, but the point is, okay. You go with some of them and, and you're at a party or something like that and you know that sometimes the modesty is be way worse than you can handle. And you're going to come home, your brain's going to be like mush with so many things in your mind and so, many, so much things you saw, how much, how much temptation there was out there. There are things that sometimes where you have to be Yoshua. We have to know in advance, this is somewhere where I don't go. I don't care if it's my friends making a party or whatever, if I can get, if you think in advance, before, like Yoshua did, he prayed, like Moshe Rabbeinu prayed for him before he went. Kalev prayed before he came back. You pray, you say to yourself, you know what, I know where I'm going, I know what's going to be, I have to pray. And sometimes when you have to go to some of these events, and some of them you have to go to, I understand family, whatever you have obligations, then you have to be able to be Kalev. That even though you're there, and even though you're adapting, inside you know who you are. That's a very important, because you sometimes people forget, when we're sort of being nice and smiling, we get influenced. We have to be able to hold back that influence. We have to have sometime Yoshua, and sometime Kalev. I'm going to end off with one story about Jador. This is my favorite story. This story was, was in the Minyan. And it sort of shows both aspects of him at once. His love and his strength. He was in the young man, Magen David. We told the story also at the funeral. He was in young Magen David. And they had Silichot every morning. Hundreds of boys coming to Silichot. One day, there's a Gentile neighbor who's annoyed. She says, people were making noise early in the morning, disturbing the peace. So one day, they're in the Minyan. And two police officers come upstairs in 67th Street into the minyan. Okay? He walks across the minyan, walk across the room, and he says, Officers, what can I do for you? They tell him their complaint. He says, Hold on a minute. He turns to a young boy. He says, Young man, give these officers a cup of coffee. Then he turns to the officer. He says, Officers, you see here, I have 200 boys that I'm keeping off the street. 200 boys that are praying to their God. We're not stopping. No matter what you do, we will continue to pray. Tomorrow we're going to continue to be praying here every morning because we're praying to our Hashem. Nothing can stop us. And this is my favorite part. He said, not just that. He said, because you interrupted us in the middle of our prayers, I want a $5 donation out of each of you. (laughs) That's a man with strength. That's a man who's able to have, like we said, that Yehoshua, to be able to know when to be a stand-up, when to be outspoken, when to, yes, he smiles and sent everyone to God letters, people he loved, people that even didn't like him. People, everyone, if there was any, people, everyone got letters, everyone got their love, everyone, but again, he always had, I don't know if there's anyone who hasn't had something that he told them what to, how to change, and sometime when he told them, have a terrific day, have a wonderful day, and you, you make me you smile, you'll make, you make my day, it's great to hear you. Every time I would call him on Fridays, every Friday he would tell me, oh, I get to hear your voice, I feel having a great day now that I hear my voice, I'm a little puny nothing, but it's a great big deal to hear my voice. But no, because he was every he had the ability to make everyone feel good, and at times, at different times, to tell everybody where they needed to change. 
Baruch Hashem, tonight we were able to talk. We covered the Meragelim, as we said. The Meragelim, their sin, to, to sum up what they did, their sin was not lying, but what the Torah calls lying. And that is spinning the story with their agenda. And they were able to, two people were able to fight it with Yoshua and Kalev, each one with their own characteristic. Yoshua by drawing the lines from the beginning, and Kalev by acting like he's part of them, adapting to their way, sort of, and then at the end telling them what he believes. And but as we end tonight, Lilud Nishma, Shaul Ben Chana, Charlie Saruya, a man who, like we said, from the day he was born till the day he passed away, he was 84 years old, never ever was spun by anybody. Never ever was influenced by any of those things that America had to offer, the army had to offer, a deal, or Brooklyn, or society had to offer. He was never spun. At times he knew how to be Yoshua, and at times he knew how to be Kalev. He was always able to be strong and keep his keep his strength and he's a baruch and Bizat Hashem we should keep his memory going and we should keep his his Musar and what he did and how he lived lived his life. Baruch Adonai Lam